This is Redemption Radio with Pastor Cody King of Redemption Calvary in Commerce City, Colorado. Here's a preview from Pastor Cody of today's message. All of the major cults of the world have been started that way, by speculation and rationalizing nonsense. They come up with an entire thought process about something that's not sustainable, and there's no truth that upholds it whatsoever. So we've got to be careful of that and not fall prey to it ourselves. When the Bible is silent, it is best for us to remain silent as well. I think it is important for us to think upon these things. I think it's important for us to ask the Lord for wisdom in these things. But too much speculation leads us away from the Lord, not toward the Lord. We aren't always the best at being in the dark. We don't like to think of ourselves as ignorant or unknowing. But today, Pastor Cody reminds us that there is mystery to God and rightfully so. There are things about Christ that we simply can't comprehend in this world. And it's okay to think on these things and ponder, but we need to be careful to not speculate too much because we can create a narrative in our minds that's absolutely not true. You know enough of God to know that His mystery is magnificent. Now, turn in your Bible to the book of Matthew chapter 27 as Pastor Cody begins his message, A Saying of Separation. Have you ever had something uh, that you understood intellectually, but you had a real struggle putting some words on it? I mean, you got it, you understand it, but as soon as you start to say it to somebody, all of a sudden you feel like you're some sort of fool, or you feel like maybe I don't understand this, and the words seem to fail, and it doesn't really come through the way that you thought it did, or it was really powerful in your mind, and then you say it, and you're like... Well, it's, it is powerful. I just don't know how to say it the right way. Uh, there, there are times when that happens. I remember there was a, a time in, in my life when my wife and I, we had just gotten married. We, we've been married a few months. And uh, as we were driving, a profound thought hit me. And so I tried to say it to her. And I said, I said, Micah, when I proposed to you, I didn't even love you. And I was shocked that she was offended. <laughs> and she, she was like... You know, my sister happened to be in the car and they both hit me and called me insensitive and a jerk. And she's like, oh, so our entire marriage is just based on what are you just obligated to marry me? And I'm like, no, no, no. I, I, I realized that what I had said didn't communicate what I was thinking. And, and so I tried to backpedal and figure that out. And, you know, uh, the best thing to do, guys, when you're in those situations is just stop talking. You're digging yourself deeper. Everything you say is worse. So just know that little wisdom if you didn't figure that one out yet. But something for you there that I've stepped on enough landmines to know that. But, you know, um, I was shocked when she was offended by this. But what I meant was that my understanding of what love is had grown since then. That what I thought love was when I proposed to her and what I thought love was now that we'd been married for a few months had developed, it had matured, it had grown. And, and I would say the same thing now, that today after 14 years of marriage, that what I thought love was then when we'd been married for a few months isn't even the same as what I think love is now. That it's grown, it's developed, it's matured. I, I, and I've matured enough to not say things so foolishly as I didn't even love you then. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, because that is not wise. Now, now, some of what you know and believe doesn't match exactly what you're able to verbalize logically. And today, we're going to be entering into a section of Scripture that is very much in this realm of things. There's a lot of mystery that surrounds what we're entering into today. And so I just I want to caution you with, with something as we do this, because there are mysterious things in Scripture, and we got to take care to understand what we can, but resist speculation. 
Because as we go into these, what tends to happen is that we, where we don't understand, we begin to speculate and too much speculation will lead you into heresy. It'll lead you into things that are ungodly. It'll, it'll lead you into thinking the scriptures say things that they don't say at all. And you'll make up entire theological concepts uh, that are not true and not biblical. And then you'll enter into those things and you'll make up a God that doesn't even exist and try to worship him. And so we've got to be careful about that. Now, there are, as you're developing your theology, there are three theological buckets that you have, okay? There are three things, these containers or this bucket that you're going to have in your life or in your mind. And as things come your way, you're going to place them into one of these three buckets. And and this is one of those places where we're going to be putting some stuff there. Now, the first one is, the bucket of absolutely yes. There are some things that as, as you receive these or as you're reading through scripture or as you hear this being taught that you can put it in the bucket of absolutely yes. That Jesus promises the hope of heaven and eternity. Absolutely stake your claim on it. Take it to the bank. This is an absolute yes. We can do that. There's another bucket that you have in your, in your mind, which is absolutely no, right? Absolutely not. Um, should I murder my neighbor? No, right? There, there are verses that say that you should not do this, okay? There are things in scripture that are very, very clear that are absolutely no, and you can put it in that bucket. You don't have to debate over it. Should I sleep with my girlfriend? No, No, there's no debate about this, but we love each other. No, should we move in together? No, the Bible says, no, you don't do this. There's no debate about it. You don't just, you don't go through, should I cheat on my taxes? No, that's lying. It's stealing. No, okay, so there's a bucket for that. There's a third bucket that we have, and this is where we're gonna be today. Is a lot of what we're gonna be talking about today is gonna be in this third bucket. And this third bucket is waiting for more information. We're going to go as far as we can go. We're going to take it as deeply as we can take it. We're going to extract as much as we can from the scriptures. But there's a point at which there's just, there's just not enough info. There's not enough information. And there's, in today's section, what we're going to be looking at in Matthew chapter 27, and this fourth saying of Jesus from the cross, that, that there's a point of it where there's mystery, and God has chosen not to reveal more of this. And part of that, I believe, is because of our finite humanity. We cannot actually understand or grasp it. There's parts of this that are, are not understandable on purpose from God's perspective. And so for us to try to dive into that which is not understandable, it makes it impossible for us to gain what is actually being said. So we've got to be careful with this. And I'll be the first to tell you that I do not fully understand what we're about to go into today. And I want to caution you from too much speculation that that though I don't understand it, I do believe it. Okay, I I may not understand it completely. And that's where the, the weakness of my humanity comes in. But I do believe it. Okay, and so that's where we're going to be today. Now, here's our big idea for today. The big idea is this, that Jesus was rejected so that you could be received. Jesus was rejected so that you could be received. That's our our big idea. So keep that in mind as we look at Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 through 49. Let's read that together. It says this, Now, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, this man is calling for Elijah. 
Immediately, one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come and save him. And as Jesus is hanging there, they're, they're wondering what, what kind of cool, miraculous thing may take place. They thought maybe he's crying out for one of the Old Testament prophets, Elijah, to come and save him. And, and so let's see what's taking place. And today, as we look at this section together, we're going to be looking at it in these three mysteries. Uh, it, these three mysteries are, verse 45, the mystery of Jesus being in darkness. Verse 46, the mystery of Jesus being forsaken. And also in verse 46, the mystery of Jesus becoming my guilt. Here's our three mysteries in this fourth saying of Jesus. So let's look at the first one, verse 45, the mystery of Jesus being in darkness. Look again at verse 45 with me, if you would. It says, now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. Everything about the cross has been leading up to this point. Everything about Jesus' life, everything from his birth, that that Jesus was born to die, not like any other child, not born to live, born to die. Everything's been going to this moment. And not only this moment, but this moment of the cross. That everything about the cross, Jesus being scourged and spat upon and his beard plucked from his face and being punched and ridiculed and mocked and taking his cross through the streets and going to Golgotha and being laid down and nailed to this cross and hoisted up and lifted high and the king of the Jews being placed over his head. All of these things are all coming to this moment. This place, it's the redemption of humanity that culminates in this period of darkness. At Jesus' birth, there was a mysterious light that guided the wise men to him. And now, at Jesus' death, there's a mysterious darkness that shrouds the entire world. There's this this mysterious and miraculous thing taking place. And I think it's interesting and far more than just some foreshadowing and, and maybe some concept being established here, but that there's something specific taking place, that Jesus is the light of the world. He said that in John 8, 12, I'm the light of the world. And now as he's, he's here sacrificing himself, he's allowing his light to be extinguished for us. And this shrouds the world in, in darkness. The darkness of the cross is a, a picture of what's taking place within the Godhead for the salvation of mankind. That this is what's happening in the scriptures. Pictures are, are extremely valuable, extremely important. We're told in the book of Numbers that uh, Moses, when he was leading the children of Israel through the wilderness, that they, they complained. They said, hey, we've got no water. Uh, we're going to die. Does God hate us? I mean, did he take us out here and free us from Egypt so we could come out here and starve and, and uh, die of dehydration? And, and so they complained. And this was not the first time they complained about this, but the second time they complained about not having water. And so Moses had gone to God once before. And the first time uh, God said to Moses, hey, Moses, see that stick that you have? Go over to the rock and hit it. And out of the rock is going to flow water. Okay, now you've got to imagine this, that the, the nation of Israel is two to three million people at this time. So it's not a drinking fountain. Okay. It's not a little trickle. Okay. This is a rock that explodes into a lake. That's what takes place. Okay. This is a lot of water that's, that's coming out. That's the first time uh, that God said, Moses, take your stick, hit the rock. Water will come out. The second time that this takes place, God says something different. He says, Moses, I don't want you to hit the rock. I, I want you to just speak to the rock and water will come out. 
And as Moses heard this command, he took his stick, he went over to the, uh, the rock and he yelled at the people and he said, you guys are just rebels and, and you, you, you're making me do this again. And he hit this, the rock and water came out. And after this, God said, hey, Moses, I got to talk to you, pal. It's like when your parents say that to you and you're like, you know, when my, when my mom used to use my middle name, I knew that was bad. No matter what, I don't know what I did, but I'm going to find out. Or maybe I knew what I did, and I'm hoping she didn't find out. So God speaks to Moses, and he says, Hey, Moses, you misrepresented me. I wasn't angry with the people. And you, you messed up the picture that I was, I was painting. Because in 1 Corinthians, we're told that the rock was Christ. And the picture that God was trying to paint was that the rock was, was smitten or, or struck the first time, and life came out. And after that, you only speak to the rock and life comes out. Jesus doesn't need to be crucified again. That your sin is covered. Life is given. Not by Jesus going to the cross over and over and over and over again. Not like the lambs in the sacrificial system that had to be sacrificed over and over and over again. Pictures matter a lot. And so God said to Moses, because of this, you can't go into the promised land. I know you've been working toward this for 80 years But it's not happening anymore, Moses. I'm sorry. The thing that I've called you to and the thing that you have been working toward your entire life, now you cannot do because of this. It seems extreme to us. We're like, hey, he just hit the rock. I mean, come on. Give the guy a break. Let him go in the promised land. No, you can't go in the promised land because you messed up the picture. Pictures matter a lot to God. And here in the middle of this is Jesus is hanging on the cross. We're told that he hangs in three hours of darkness. And I don't believe that that's just some random thing that took place or it happened to be at this, some sort of time when the, an eclipse happened and it just lined up perfectly. This is something specific that's taking place and it's symbolizing for us, picturing for us what's happening within the Godhead. You see, this is the father turning his face away and the sun itself cannot even shine as it's supplied by his glory. The darkness of the cross pictures what's taking place within the Godhead for the salvation of mankind. This darkness is not normal, either in its timing nor in its kind. The timing of this was in the middle of the day. Look there at verse 45. It says, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour. The way that they told time then was they based it around when the sun would rise. Okay, so the sun would rise, let's say around 6 a.m. And then six hours from there is about noon. Okay, so this is right in the middle of the day. So right around noon till 3 p.m. in the most bright, in the most hot part of the day, it is black. It is dark. Okay, this is a, a very strange time for darkness. That would make sense at midnight, but 12 hours later, it makes no sense at all. This is something different. This is something that's taking place. Not only is it not the, a normal time of darkness, but it's not a normal kind of darkness. It's, it's not cloudy. You know, clouds didn't roll in uh, and make it a little gloomy. Uh, it's not even an eclipse. This is something very, very specific. This is darkness that has a specific meaning. The Greek word is stakos, uh, and it means night darkness or even blindness. That's what the word means. That, that sometimes this word would even be used to describe not being able to see at all. Blindness. Okay, so that's the word that's being used there. Interestingly, this darkness is a darkness that is so thick that it can be felt. It's so thick that it can be felt. You ever had that kind of darkness? 
You can't even see your hand in front of your face. And terror overtakes you. You don't know why. You feel like you're a little kid that needs your nightlight. But fear and, and terror, just this darkness that is, you can feel it. That's the kind of darkness that we're talking about. In Exodus, we have this same word being used. Uh, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew. And when the, the Hebrew scholars were looking for a Greek word that would rightly fit this word for darkness in Exodus, they used the same word that we see here at the cross of Jesus. All right, let me read it for you. Exodus chapter 10, verse 21. It's the plague of darkness. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness. It's the same word there, stakos. Over the land of Egypt. Darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. It's this same kind of darkness in the plague of Egypt, in this, this plague of darkness is spoken of at the cross of Christ. And I think it's interesting, not only do we see the parallel in this word, but also Jesus was hanging in darkness three hours, and in Egypt it was there for three days. There's this immense correlation taking place here. It's in this three hours of darkness that Jesus pays the price. He settles the debt that we owed. He finishes the work that is necessary for the redemption of mankind. That there's a payment that has to take place. There's something that has to happen. And and as Jesus is hanging in darkness, that this is where the payment is made. This is what's happening. There's a spiritual transaction that's taking place here. And, And as we see this, that Jesus is drinking deeply from the cup of the wrath of God, which is given at full strength against our sin. You remember that Jesus said in the garden, let this cup pass from me. In Revelation 14, we see that the wrath of God is poured out full strength upon the ungodly. Jesus there at the cross took that wrath for me. Not only do we see the mystery of darkness, but also we see secondly, the mystery of Jesus being forsaken. Look back at verse 46 with me, if you would. It says about the ninth hour, which would be about 3 p.m., Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, this darkness as it, as it settles in over the land and the words that are used there, we believe that it would be the entire world, not just a regional darkness, but a world darkness that's taking place here. And that as this darkness settles over the world, that the single thing that pierces through this darkness is the voice of the light of the world. That Jesus' voice causes it to come to an end. That as he cries out, this is what causes this darkness to cease. Most theologians agree that Jesus would be hanging there in silence during this entire three hours. As he hung there, it would be a fulfillment of uh, Isaiah 53, that he was silent through this ordeal. Silent before Pilate, but also silent in all of this. And now here, as this entire three-hour period of anguish was laid upon his soul to bear our sins, what Jesus does is he completes it with his voice. What Jesus says is filled with mystery and cannot be fully understood. And as we look upon it, I just want to caution us again. Be careful of, of speculation here. 
And, and I'll, I'll explain a little bit more why, but be careful of too much speculation in these things. As you understand what Jesus is saying, and you understand why Jesus is saying it, and what's taking place here, it's important for us to uh, take care, lest we run the risk of plunging into heresy and attempt to understand what's not understandable with too much speculation. When we try to explain or speculate or assume about what we don't understand, we can misunderstand it completely. Or worse, make it something that it's not. Because speculation leads to rationalizing what is nonsense. So many who have gone before us have done that. All of the major cults of the world have been started that way. By speculation and rationalizing nonsense. They come up with an entire thought process about something that's not sustainable. And there's no truth that upholds it whatsoever. And so we've got to be careful of that and not fall prey to it ourselves. When the Bible is silent, it is best for us to remain silent as well. I think it is important for us to think upon these things. I think it's important for us to ask the Lord for wisdom in these things. But too much speculation leads us away from the Lord, not toward the Lord. Now, Jesus here declares that he's been forsaken. You see that there? Why have you forsaken me? This word forsaken means to abandon, to desert, to give up. That's the idea here. It's not just, hey, you ditched me, bro. Uh, this is a little bit more than that, okay? This is, this is to be abandoned, to be forsaken, to be given up, to be released. He's, Jesus here is quoting Psalm 22.1 as he says this. And he's doing so much more than just trying to comfort himself with some scriptures the way that we might. That, that we look to the scriptures in times of difficulty or trial and hardship and we say, Lord, comfort me with your scriptures. And the Psalms are a great place for us to go to find that comfort, to find that peace. Jesus is doing far more than that, just taking solace and comfort within the scriptures. He's going so deeply as to say, this is being fulfilled in your sight. There are Jewish people who would have been there at the cross who would know this scripture. And not only would they know this scripture, they would know it as a prophecy of the Messiah. And they would look upon it. And as Jesus is saying this, he's declaring to them, this prophecy is fulfilled right here in your side. As I hang on this cross in this darkness and I cry out, I'm fulfilling this prophecy. This is what Jesus is saying. This is something that they would not see though. Because their souls were just as dark as the darkness that Jesus was hanging in. They were blind because they would not see. Not because they couldn't. Jesus was right there. And he was explaining it to them. So he was preaching about his cross from his cross. And yet they wouldn't understand. Because they would not see the light. They refused to see the light. In John chapter 3. Jesus said something about this in verses 19 through 20. It says this, and the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. This is always the case. This is what kept me away from Christ. I knew I was wrong. I didn't want to go anywhere near there. I didn't want to be around that. I already felt terrible about my sin. I didn't need to feel worse about it. And that's what kept me away from the Lord. And what I didn't realize was that this exposing light of Jesus was also a cleansing light of Jesus. That as he exposed my sin, it wasn't to beat me up. It was to show me my desperate need for him. And as I yielded myself to him and I submitted my heart to him, it, it actually produced within me something I never imagined, that, that the light of Jesus took root within my heart, within my soul. And that he was able to live through me somehow, miraculously. 
That, that it wasn't darkness that filled me any longer. Now it was the light of Jesus that was able to do such a thing. You see, this is always why people will not come to believe in Jesus. Because it means yielding authority to him. That's always why. No matter what it is, if, if people have some sort of problem, you know, you try to talk to your friends or your family members about Christianity and they have all these reasons why they won't believe in Jesus. It has nothing to do with all those reasons. It has everything to do with not wanting to yield submission and authority to Jesus. That they don't want him to be king. Because there are credible answers to every question. It's not being willing to see. There are none so blind as those who will not see. And this is where they find themselves. You've been listening to Redemption Radio with Pastor Cody King of Redemption Calvary in Commerce City, Colorado. Thanks for tuning in for today's study. There's much more to learn from the series called Seven Last Sayings of Jesus. We encourage you to tune in again. In addition to that, why don't you subscribe to our podcast? That way you'll not miss an edition and you can even leave a comment. If you're enjoying these messages, you can learn more about Redemption Radio and Pastor Cody by visiting our website at redemptioncalvary.org. There you can explore other teachings from Pastor Cody's verse-by-verse studies and find out how you can join us for worship this weekend. Redemption Calvary gathers every Sunday to connect with God and each other. We'd love to see you. You'll be able to find service times, directions, and all the information you need at redemptioncalvary.org. We're also live streaming on YouTube and Facebook if you're unable to be with us in person. If you have any questions, feel free to give us a call at 720-466-5358. Be sure to let us know how we can be praying for you too. Again, that's 720-466-5358. Our time with you today has come to a close. But be sure to catch Pastor Cody's message next time. We're excited for you to have the opportunity to hear what God wants to speak to you. Here on Redemption Radio. Redemption Radio.